is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Today we speak to a Ukrainian lawmaker about what life is like living through Russia's invasion. A filmmaker, a U.S. Army veteran traveling to Ukraine for a documentary about the war. We start with Kira Rudik. She's been in Ukraine's parliament since 2019. Russia's army shifting its focus away from Kiev, the capital. Now they're building up forces for an attack on the eastern Donbass region. And Vladimir Putin vowing the war will continue until Russia achieves its military goals. Kira, you are in Kyiv. Uh, what has this experience been like? So we are just exhaling uh, what happened in Kyiv. Uh, basically, for the last couple of days, uh, there has not been any significant shelling here. We went to the outskirts of uh, the city many times, and we have seen the atrocities of uh, what uh, Russians uh, have done to the people what have been done to the cities. Uh, after that, we as a government informed um, informed people from the eastern regions where the Russian army is heading right now to evacuate. Once people started evacuating, there was another hit of the missile to the Kramatorsk train station where like at least 20 kids and uh, elderly were killed. So right now we are at the point uh, where we expecting today or tomorrow uh, this big battle for Donbass to happen. And um, it will be... Um, you know, Lord of the Rings level battle, like everybody against everybody. Let me let me ask you this, though. Uh, as I'm sure you know, the Austrian chancellor uh, met yesterday, the other day, with uh, Vladimir Putin and did not come away from that meeting. And I think this is an understatement at all optimistic. Uh, and I think the impression the Austrian chancellor got was that Putin uh, is determined to continue this war, to uh, take over uh, as best he can the southern portion of your country, and then perhaps, you know, I don't know, points west. What do you make of that meeting? Do you think that it was even a productive call for the Austrian chancellor to try to meet with Mr. Putin? Look, we, we never had illusions that you can come to agreement with Putin. We were at war with him for like last eight years. We know all the tips and tricks on the book. And that's why when uh, uh, even during the first days of war, there were like hopes that there could be peaceful negotiations. We were saying, yeah, well, there could be discussions, but there could not be a settlement. And we know right now that during the so-called peaceful negotiations that were happening between our president and uh, team and Russians, uh, in the meantime, People were tortured and killed in Bucha and other places of Ukraine. So uh, I don't think that Putin is determined to, to make peace. He was very blunt that he is taking uh, Donetsk, Luhansk region, that he is taking south of Ukraine, that then he will go to Poland and Baltic countries. And this is what his plan, this is what he's going to do. And that's why all these illusions that people are having and the world leaders that are trying to talk to him, they are basically fulfilling their internal political uh, goals, uh, not actually trying to help Ukraine. If you are correct that his ambitions are to take that war ever more westward 
into Poland and into uh, other countries west of, of your country, if that is all correct, are you not then deeply disappointed in the fact that the U.S. and the U.S. Western allies are still refusing to send offensive weapons like jets to your country, that uh, the Europeans continue to import Russian oil and gas, in effect, financing the war against your country, that must, I would think, make you and your blood boil. I am disappointed and concerned. I am um, like extremely angry at that. But so the issue that we see is this war essentially making everybody to give up their illusions. And I'm just waiting until it happens to, to the leaders of the democratic countries. Unfortunately, we have to pay for this time for them to give up on those illusions with our lives. But it will be um, imminent, same as uh, understanding that the world will never be the same as before the war. Like right now, when I'm talking to many uh, leaders of the countries, they still hope that there is a way uh, through peaceful negotiation, through some agreements, uh, to return the world to the February 23. And it's impossible because what the world uh, has already felt, what this war have, has uncovered is... Uh, so many systematic problems that we were uh, we were not admitting. Like I can give you a couple of examples. The the um, United Nations and other international organizations that have actually no use, that are useless and pointless, and who failed on their missions. Then uh, the questions about NATO as a security organization and how effective it is. International tribunals that are taking eight to 10 years to go through any international crime. Like, how good are they? And the necessity of reconsidering of how all of these uh, alliances work and how should they work so they would be actually effective. Uh, the nuclear question about are we moving away from every single country having a nuclear weapon, a nuclear program, or right now are we moving towards that every country would want to have the nuclear probe? So there are many, many, many critical questions that right now are surfaced. Given what you just mentioned there, your level of, of hope, or I guess realistically, what do you think in terms of the Russians actually being held to account for these atrocities, we've seen the evidence of them. I saw you give an interview the other day saying, look, I want the first and last names of, of these Russian soldiers accused of, of raping some of the women in these towns. Their mothers didn't raise them to do this, and they need to know what happened. So if you're asking me, would the international tribunal um, help? I think the best that we can hope for there is to have Putin and some of his generals uh, at this international tribunal, at the Nuremberg process or something. And I know that right now it sounds uh, like uh, almost impossible, but we know that 
For Milosevic, it was also impossible, and as well as for Goebbels after Second World War, but it happened. As for the soldiers, whose names and last names we already know, that would be on our security services. This uh, here, I do not expect that the international tribunal would, would work. Look, like let's remember the MH17 story. It happened in 2014. 2014. And like everybody knows who fired those missiles, who gave an order, how it happened. And still, nobody is convicted. Still, there are hearings. And it's already been like, what, eight years. So I do not believe in this international um, international justice. But I, what I do believe is in uh, our um, in our special services and who whose goal would be to bring up those specific soldiers to justice as we see it. As a member of the Ukrainian government, uh, I would fully expect you to. Uh, pronounce for the world stage your conviction that Ukraine will, in the end, win this battle against Russia. That said, uh, you are up against uh, an enormous army, uh, perhaps incompetent in many ways, but an enormous army, a determined leader, authoritarian leader in, in Russia, do you sincerely believe that you can be, your country can be victorious in this? You know, every single day of 48 days of this war was expected uh, by the world that we will fail, but we did not. This is why I have no other option than to believe that we will win. No other option. It will be extremely hard. And this is why we are so angry and we are asking for the help. And this is why we are so annoyed that the help is coming late and not in the amounts that we wanted because we want to win so hard. But on the other hand, all the facts of the past are telling us that we will give him hell of a good fight. And we are giving them hell of a good fight. I imagine you're not surprised in your people, but how proud of them are you? Extremely proud. Like, cry, like crying of being proud. Uh, can you imagine every single man and woman just standing up and saying, no, you shall not pass. No, we, we, will, uh, we will go and we will take our lives, we'll put them on the line because we will not let you do it to our country. We know that we are small. We know that this is a David versus Goliath situation. And we know that we are fighting against pure evil because, again, we have seen it. You know, months and a half ago, there were rather political statements like freedom and independence and like figuring out your own future, etc. And right now, these are the things that we are actually dying for actually dying for the opportunity, for the right to figure out how our future would look like. And this is tremendous. And this is, this is, the, this is the truth. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Kira Rudik, member of Ukraine's parliament. 
A short break, and then we talk to an Army veteran turned filmmaker who's heading to Ukraine to document what's happening there on the ground. We'll continue to learn about what's happening now in Ukraine for years to come. Actor Sean Penn was in the country when Russia invaded as part of a documentary he's making, but he's not the only one. Hank Barbs, a filmmaker and U.S. Army veteran heading to Ukraine to document humanitarian efforts during the war. He'll be embedded with the uh, military, uh, Foreign Legion at first, but the plans eventually to move out to the front. Uh, Hank, what do you hope to achieve by going to Ukraine and then uh, making this film? You know, Justin and I have a show called Do Good, and we go and we we went to uh, Hurricane Laura in 2020, and uh, we saw the destruction there, and we saw the people come together, and we were able to find a way to tell their stories, and it, and it helped bring eyes on them, and it helped bring resources to them. Uh, so now we have an opportunity to go to, you know, Ukraine, which the whole place is decimated, and when things like that happen, heroes always rise up. You know, we're not looking for war heroes. We're looking for heroes for the people, people that are feeding people and helping people get out and things like that. How inspired are you by what you have seen so far, just in the coverage of, of how many people have gone to help? And some of them picking up everything here from their businesses and just and say, you know what, I'm going to get to Poland. I'm going to get as close as I can get. Man, it, it's great. You know, some of the some of the groups that, that we got to work with when we were in Lake Charles after the hurricane, I looked and they're in the Ukraine. Uh, there's a group called Aerial Recovery and it's made up of, you know, former SF guys and, 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 you know, they've got resources. And if you look, they're pulling out 89 orphans at a time, just evacuating them because there's really no place safe to be there right now. You're going, uh, as I understand it, to, uh, at least in part, to the eastern portion of Ukraine. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, uh, we're filmmakers, and, and our goal is to make a film that tells the actual story of what's going on. But that is a very dangerous. But that's a very dangerous part of of the country. What's your own personal concern? Well, obviously, you know, there's there's a touch of fear there, you know. But you know, we think about the fact that there's people's grandmothers that are there. You know, uh, it's if if we have to tell the story. And we have to tell it right. And that means that, that we've got to see what's actually happening. Uh, but both of us are combat vets. Justin was in uh, 327, no slack, during uh, Afghanistan. I was a flight medic during, uh, during Iraq. You know, so we kind of have an idea of things to do not to get ourselves killed, you know. When you see what you see and, and when you will see what you're going to see, when you go into this eastern area of the country, how does that get reconciled in your mind? How does it sit with you? Because it's horrible to witness it. But like you said earlier, I think you're going to find heroes that are doing what they can to help. And, and you know, that's the thing. You know, uh, neither of us are voyeurs. We don't want to go over there just to watch what's happening. You know, the whole goal of film for us is hope. You know, we're going to be there and we're going to see the destruction, but we're also going to see people coming together, you know, neighbors feeding neighbors. And it, that part of the whole, the whole thing is, is amazing and really inspiring, you know, and, and part of the thing that we're able to do is we're able to funnel resources uh, to the people that we feature through, uh, we have a deal with uh, uh, United Way that helps us pay several nonprofits. Right. Uh, so not only are we going to get to, 
be inspired, but we're going to get to provide resources to those folks uh, that they might not get without it, you know? Hank Barb, uh, Echo Bravo Productions, headed out to Ukraine tomorrow. Hank, uh, we wish you good luck, and, and thank you for talking to us. The war in Ukraine isn't just being fought in the air and on the ground. Ukrainian authorities now say they successfully stopped a Russian cyber attack last week. They say the attack was set to take place on Friday, and if it had been successful, millions of Ukrainians would have lost power. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. Thank you.